So, um, about uh, two months ago, I decided that I didn't um, believe this stuff anymore. I decided I didn't uh, believe in God. And ever since I was little, I've been a perfectionist. And my mom tells me that when I would come home in middle school uh, with the test that got it, and where I got a 99, I would be crying because I didn't get a hundred because uh, I wanted to be perfect. And so I think I've always struggled with that. And there was part of me that when I took this job as the youth pastor here about four years ago that thought, you know, once I become a religious professional, uh, I would get pretty close to perfect. And my life would get a lot better and I would desire to sin less and and my sins would almost vanish. And two months ago I was sitting in my office and I was just thinking, I don't think I'm that much better than I was. And I was thinking like, I really, my capacity to desire sin is so great. It feels even greater than it did before I took this job. And I started really feeling bad about who I was. And I started feeling bad about myself. And and I just, I I decided, I I said, if, if, if it's true, and I'm acting this way, and I'm feeling this way, and I'm desiring these things, if it's really true, then what I was hearing was that God didn't love me. Or that he was really angry with me. Um... Or, or even worse, uh, that he's apathetic towards me. That he just, he just doesn't care. And so I, I let the thought enter in my mind, well, what if it's not true? You know, what if me feeling bad about myself, what if me never being able to measure up, uh, what if the reason I'm so tired from trying is because I'm trying to please someone who doesn't exist? And, and I kind of sat in that for a little while. And all of a sudden, I kind of felt a weight lifted off. And and I thought, this feels kind of good. I don't don't have to please anyone anymore. And so I I left work. It was a beautiful day outside. I had a blanket on the back of my car. I went and found a place outside that I didn't think I'd run into anyone. And I laid the blanket down on the ground. And I laid there for about three hours. And I didn't pray and I didn't talk to God because I chose to believe that he didn't exist. And I really rested. All of a sudden, I I didn't feel like I had to do anything. I had to prove anything. I had to try to be better. I could stop feeling bad about myself and and who I was and the the things that were inside me. And I had a great day until I went home and I told my wife, Kelly, about my discovery. And, um, And she was not happy about it at all. And I tried to convince her, like, no, you understand, like, I'm going to be a different person now. Like, I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. Because all of a sudden, I'm not going to have all these expectations. And I'm not going to be depressed anymore. And so you should really be happy, too. And you should stop believing. And she, she did not bite. Um, and she actually uh, got really upset. And we had a rough couple days. And after about two days of my unbelief, I decided I needed to come into work and... and quit because I can't be the youth pastor and not believe in God. Uh, and so, although, well, anyways, I, um, I, I came into the office on Wednesday and 
I, I didn't know if I was going to resign. I didn't know what I was going to say. And, and I started getting really scared because my whole life I've believed this. My whole life I've been raised in this. And, and to, to walk away from it all seemed uh, really dramatic. Uh, and so before I went in to talk to Jeff and John and, and tell them that I quit, um, I decided that I would, I would read my Bible one last time, my final time. Uh, and where I had stopped on Monday um, is where I picked back up again on Wednesday, and I read Zechariah 3. And Quinn is going to read that for us this morning. Hear God's word. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Pray with me. Jesus, you are the Word. It says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Lord, I need you to be the Word this morning. There are lots of words that are going to come out of my mouth. And as clever as I may put them together or as beautifully as I could say something, if, if it isn't you, the word, speaking, those words will just die here and they'll disappear and they won't give us life. And so, um, Jesus, I'm asking you to give us life this morning. And you know exactly what each person in this room needs to hear from you. You know the secrets that we have that we are pleading with you that no one will ever find out. You know about our marriages. You know about the marriage that's about to fall apart right now. And and you know our financial states. And you know our doubts. And you know our unbelief. And so come and offer us hope today. By your Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. And I, it's ridiculous that I'm, that I'm speaking and I'm, I'm, I'm talking, especially since I chose not to believe in you two months ago. But you, you've called me to do this. And so I surrender my thoughts and my, my mind and my heart and my mouth and my body to be a conduit of your grace. And so, so use it and speak, Jesus. In your name, amen. So Zechariah gets this vision. And he gets this vision of this heavenly courtroom. This this courtroom of God's law. And this courtroom, we've seen other times in Scripture. We see it in Job. We see it in Revelation. So this courtroom exists. Now, uh, if you're not very spiritual and, and I don't know, you just showed up here today or something like that and you're thinking, oh no, we're going to talk about some mythical courtroom and, and the, the scripture had Satan in it and it had an angel in it. Like, this is silly. I don't, I don't believe that I'm standing in a courtroom. Yeah, you do. Don't you all feel in the pit of your stomach that you are on trial? 
Don't you get these feelings like you're going to show up someplace inadequate, underdressed. You're going to be seen as unrighteous. Isn't that what those dreams are about when we show up at work or a party or something in our underwear? Isn't that dream coming from that deep place inside of us that just thinks, I am not going to be acceptable? Uh, In college, well, let me start by saying, when I was about eight, I remember my buddies uh, making fun of me for being pudgy. And so from that time on, uh, I have been very uncomfortable in my own skin, and my own body. I've always been a little bit flabby and soft here, and, and I hate it. And then you go to college, and it seems like everyone in college has got 6% body fat. And, and so here I am, and, and, I'm, and I'm in college, and I've got my own room, and my own television, and my own credit card, and I'm up late at night, and what comes on TV late at night but the infomercials, Right? And so I watched a ton of infomercials in college. And you know what they do? They show you a picture that exposes you, right? There's a guy that looks like you with the flabby stomach and, and running on the beach and he should not be in a bathing suit. And you're looking at it and you're saying, that's, that's me. And then all of a sudden they show you the, the, the transformed guy and he's got 26 pack abs. And, 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 uh, and it says, you know, if you buy this, You will look like this. You will go from being unacceptable to acceptable. And we'll give you a 30-day money-back guarantee. And, uh, And so in college, this is not a joke. In college, I purchased the Ab Flex. I purchased the Ab Roller. I purchased the Ab Dolly. And I purchased the Steam Buggy. The Steam Buggy had nothing to do with abs, but it amazingly cleaned your shower and all that by just like this. And, uh... um, And so in college, I spent a couple hundred dollars on my abs. And to this day, I have never even seen half an ab. I have not. But, but, but the marketers, the, our, our society, they, they know that we feel inadequate, that we know that there's some courtroom, there's some standard in which we are standing and we feel insecure and vulnerable, and that is what they're going after. So here we go. We have Zechariah, and he has this picture of this heavenly courtroom, and there he sees Joshua, the high priest of Israel, standing there before the angel of the Lord in filthy rags. Now, Joshua, as the high priest, would know, just like those of you who've read the Bible through in a year and you get to those places in Leviticus that tells you what the high priest was supposed to do before he entered into the presence of God. He was supposed to do all this ritual bathing and he was supposed to put on his robes and and another robe and a turban. He knew, as the high priest, what he needed to do to stand before the Lord acceptable. But yet, Zechariah sees him standing there in filthy rags. Now, Zechariah's original listeners... They would have been scared to death for the fate of Joshua. And actually, as Joshua being their high priest, their representative, they would have been terrified for themselves. So Zechariah paints this picture. Joshua standing there in his filthy rags. And it says, and to his right side was Satan ready to accuse him. Now we get lots of different pictures of Satan in the Bible. We get introduced to him in Genesis as that serpent, as a deceiver, as a manipulator. Then uh, we see him also as a tempter. We see him tempting Jesus in the wilderness. The Apostle Peter calls him a roaring and devouring lion. John calls him a murderer and the father of lies. 
But here in Zechariah's vision, we get to see Satan in one of his best roles. Satan is a great actor. And here in this vision, he is standing there as the outraged prosecutor in the court of God's law. How crazy is that? That Satan, the very one who tempts us and wants to lead us into sin, will then stand in the courtroom and accuse us. And that's what he does, especially if we believe in Jesus. That's his main role with us. Yes, he tempts us. Yes, he does all those other things. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, his main role right now is to accuse you. And you know that. You've heard his voice. When troubles come, when suffering happens, when something bad happens, don't you hear he's punishing you and you deserve it? When you go to to speak on behalf of Christ, when you finally work up the nerve to share the gospel with a coworker, when you start a Bible study, when you agree to preach, don't you hear, if they only knew what you were really like, you hypocrite. When you go to pray and you really need to hear from God and you really need to be in communion with God, don't you hear, why would he listen to you? You haven't read your Bible this week. You haven't done the things that you're supposed to do. Why should he even listen to you? When you see some weakness or some bad stuff in your heart, don't you hear and you call yourself a Christian? When you fall or fail, when that besetting, nagging sin that you've pleaded and pleaded with God to take away, when you succumb to it once again, don't you hear, look at that! If you were a real Christian, you would not do that again. Don't dare ask forgiveness one more time. Are you surprised at how things from your past, sins that you've repented of, can sometimes come back up and you can feel guilty all over again? I'm amazed about images. I I, I can't remember what I speak from week to week in youth group. A kid can come up to me and be like... My life is forever changed. Thank you, O oh wise youth pastor. And I'll have no idea what he's talking about. But yet in an instant, images can pop into my head from a magazine I looked at in second grade that was hidden in the playground at my elementary school. Who brings that stuff up? Who brings those past sins up? It's him. It's the accuser. Satan may be the father of lies, but when it comes to accusing us, doesn't he have a lot of truth on his side? Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, Truly, dear friends, if Satan wants to accuse us, he can take any page of our history, any hour of any day, will furnish him the material he needs for his accusations. But fortunately, it's not just Satan in the courtroom. There's one more player in this holy courtroom. And it's the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord appears uh, throughout the Old Testament and then disappears in the New Testament. When the angel of the Lord appears, he speaks on behalf of God. He speaks as if he is God. He speaks of God in the first person. So most theologians and scholars agree That when we hear the angel of the Lord, we're not hearing from Gabriel or Michael or any angel of that sort. When Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord and he is fearful for his life because to look into the face of God is sudden and sure death. 
what we are seeing is we're seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Second person of the Trinity. So here in this courtroom stands Joshua in his filthy rags. There stands Satan to his right side, ready to accuse him. And then there stands Jesus. For a long, I've been thinking about this passage for two months because uh, it meant so much to me. And, and as I started thinking about my sermon, I really thought it would all be about Satan and his accusations. But about a week ago, I decided I should, I should take the three characters and I should put their names at the top of a sheet of paper and then list all the things they do in the vision. And I discovered that Joshua just stands there. Satan really just stands there, ready. But Jesus actively does stuff. Now, for those of you who are very sensitive to the obvious, you already got that. It took me a really long time to find that point. But Jesus rebukes he pardons and he clothes. Imagine being Joshua and standing there and, and knowing full well that you should be in a different outfit. Knowing full well that you are unacceptable. And then G, to hear Jesus say, Satan, I rebuke you. The Lord God rebukes you, Satan. Because I have chosen Jerusalem. I imagine in this courtroom, I see Jesus, and, and he's not even really looking at Joshua. He's looking right at Satan, and he's saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember in the garden? Don't you remember the promise that, yes, you will strike my heel, but I will crush your head? I, 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 can, I can see that Jesus' eyes is communicating that right to Satan. I, I also I kind of imagine that he's looking at Satan saying, and, and don't you remember, as it says in Ephesians, uh, for we were chosen in him before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight. I feel like Satan and Jesus are going back and forth. And, and Jesus is saying, Satan, this has already been decided. You know that. You have nothing to bring here. But why, why would he choose Joshua? I, um, I started this thing with my oldest son, Oliver, when he was about two. And uh, at bedtime, he would say, Daddy, why do you love me? And I would say, why do you think? And he would say, is it because I'm so strong? I'd say, no. He'd say, is it because I'm so smart? No. Is it because I'm so handsome? No. Is it because I'm so obedient? Definitely no. <laughs> and then he'd say, well, why do you love me then, Daddy? And I, say, I would say, just because. God told the Israelites back in Deuteronomy, he said, I chose you, not because you were the greatest in number. Actually, you're the fewest. I, I didn't chose you because of anything that you had. I just chose you just because. Just because I love you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. Write that down and go back and look at that. He chose them in love just because. And so Satan and Jesus are standing there in the courtroom and Jesus opens up the argument by telling Satan, you have nothing to bring here. This has already all been decided. Joshua, really, it doesn't matter. It's already decided. And then he turns to Joshua. And he turns to those around Joshua and he says, take off his filthy clothes. And so as Joshua is being undressed, as the filth is being taken away, Jesus looks at Joshua and he says, Joshua, 
I've taken away your sin. And I will clothe you in rich garments. It's important that we're forgiven. I mean, there's nothing like receiving grace and mercy and pardon. But, but Jesus is doing something so much more profound here. He isn't just forgiving Joshua. Uh, to forgive Joshua would be to say, you're forgiven. Your sins are taken away. And Joshua would be free to leave that courtroom completely absolved from guilt. But then Jesus says, but I will put rich garments on you. And by saying that to Joshua, he is saying, not only are you free to leave without guilt, but you are free to stay in my presence without guilt. But then I think, like, how? Like, how can he do that? Okay, so he chose Joshua just because... But, but he's standing in this holy courtroom, God's holy, and he's telling, he, he's telling Joshua, your sins are forgiven, and, and I'm going to put rich garments on you. How can he just say that? Hundreds of years later, Jesus would tell a story of a wedding feast. And, and at this wedding feast, uh, the king would invite all these guests, and none of them would show up. And so the king sends out his servants. And, and he sends out his servants to go after the guest. And to tell the guest, hey, there's a wedding going on. You must have forgotten. Get there. But when the servants tell the guest that, they don't care. They just stay where they are. And so the king says, all right, enough with them. Go out into the streets and invite anyone who wants to come. And they can be brought in. And so the banquet hall of the wedding is full of people. It's full of street people. And then Jesus says something interesting. He says, and the king noticed in the crowd a man who was unfitly dressed, who showed up in rags, who was not wearing the proper wedding attire. And I started thinking, well, this whole room, this whole banquet hall is filled with people that have just shown up off the streets. They didn't know they were going to a wedding. So, so why did this one man stick out? Well, it must be that as the people who came in off the streets to this wedding feast entered, the servants handed them the proper wedding garments. But yet one man chose to go go in in his rags. So when Jesus looks at Joshua and he says to Joshua, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich clothes on you. When Jesus tells the story of the man who shows up to the wedding in rags he realizes he's going to have to choose to be that man. He's going to have to give his rich garments to Joshua. Thus, when he enters into the wedding, he is the one who is filthy and unacceptable and unable to participate. And that's what he does. That's what he does on the cross. He goes on the cross wearing a filthy loincloth. And, and, and in the story, he ends the story by saying, and when the king saw this man, the king was angry. And he had his servants throw the man out into complete darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he experienced the king, God, throwing him out into complete darkness. With the wailing and gnashing of teeth. But because he did that, he'd come back to this courtroom 
And all of a sudden, Jesus becomes our advocate. He becomes the defending attorney. Where Satan is the one accusing the sinner, Jesus becomes the one who defends him. And I've always, I I mean, think a lot of times why I get so down on myself and and, and get mad that I'm not better than I am is because I picture Jesus up in heaven pleading with the Father to forgive me. And I I, I see him kind of being annoyed and and saying, Zach did it again, but but God, boys will be boys. Can Can you just show him grace one more time? But that's not what's happening. As our defense attorney, he has set up an infallible defense. When he goes before the holy judge, he is not pleading for grace. He is demanding justice. He is showing his hands, the scars in his hands, and he is demanding justice. Because it would be unjust to take payment for the same sin twice. So two months ago, I needed to repent. I needed to repent of not accepting the righteousness of Christ. I needed to repent of being discouraged by my own sin. I needed to repent of thinking that any of my sins were too big for the mercy of God. Do you? Martin Luther's one of my heroes. I love Martin Luther. Um, And one of my favorite quotes of his He says, what is it about our arrogance and our pride that makes us believe that anything we have done or ever will do cannot be covered by the blood of God's own Son? And Martin Luther knew of this arrogance well. After nailing those 95 theses to that church door in Germany, a lot of people wanted him dead. So he sought refuge at Wartburg Castle. But while seeking refuge, he encountered an even more insidious enemy there. He writes in a letter on May 24th, 1521, of his spiritual depression. And he talks about this dream he has where Satan appears before him. And Satan stands there, and Satan has a long scroll with each and every one of his sins listed on it. And Satan takes time carefully reading each and every sin. The whole time mocking Luther's efforts to serve God. The whole time telling Martin Luther, it doesn't matter what you do because you're going to end up in hell anyways. And so as Martin Luther is laying in the bed and he's seeing all his sins and Satan is reading them and accusing him, Martin Luther can't take it anymore. And and he jumps up and he says, it's all true, Satan. Every single one of them. And even some that you don't know about that only God knows. But write this at the bottom of your list. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sins. And then taking the inkwell off his writing desk, he hurls it at Satan who vanishes, but the inkwell shatters against the wall, marking a spot, indicating his deliverance. Before the throne.
Have you been delivered? Uh, have you correctly identified whose voice is accusing you? If you don't believe in Jesus, I, I wouldn't want to stand in that courtroom. But if you do, as it says in, in John three sixteen and 17, and uh, he says, if whoever believes in me, I will not condemn not only that, I will, I will clothe you in my garments so that no matter what, you will always be welcome in my presence. So when the accusations come, and they will come, remember who your accuser is and say to him, you're right, you got me. Let me tell you what I did yesterday. And then turn and look into the face of your advocate, Jesus, who chose you, who pardons you, and who clothes you just because. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad it's all about grace. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.